It's so good to be here. So good to have you. Yeah, surreal in a way. I am Khana, or Khani, as some people call me. <laughs> okay, but Khana um, for today. <clears throat> yeah. Um, I grew up in Crown Heights, Brooklyn. Heard of it. Um, before it was cool. Right. Um, before it was cool and after it was cool. Um, yeah, I grew up when it was when mainly the only Jews who were there were Chabad right. folks. So um, before the hipsters moved in. That's right. But after like a really cool period of time when there was like mega diverse Jewish community there. Right. So, you know. Somewhere in that time. At a perfect time. Right. Um, I, I grew up with the Rebbe, with the Lubavitcher Rebbe. Um, I really what does that mean? Sorry to interrupt you. Yeah. What does that mean? Um, so the last Lubavitcher Rebbe had a Hasidic court. I mean, his father-in-law had a Hasidic court and established the court in Crown Heights. Um, and it means that I grew up kind of as a small child in a Hasidic court. Um, and that was pretty unique um, because even though I had many, many classmates, not everybody, like fathers, davened at 770. Right. 770 is the main shul. Um, I grew up going to 770 my whole life. So the Rebbe was still alive when you were a small child? Yeah, the Rebbe was alive. I would grow up going to our bring-ins. We would, there was like a siren. There were like all these different time periods and stuff, things that would go on. But like there was a siren that would sometimes go off, like similar as like the Arab Shabbos siren. Cool. I didn't know they had that. When something was going on in 770 and there was like a short period where there were also beepers. They were called Mashiach beepers. Oh, wow. <laughs> and it was, and they would beep, um, like, when something was going on in 770. So they say when Mashiach was coming, they would just beep. <laughs> no, like, when something was going on in 770. Okay. And so I have memories, um, you know, just sort of being a small child, being woken up in the middle of the night, right? Wow. Like, 9 p.m. or whatever it was, 10 p.m., um, getting dressed in Shabbos clothes and running from our apartment building wow. in Brooklyn Empire all the way up, up, up Brooklyn Avenue to 770. And... There were, it was like a street, streams of Hasidim, like from everywhere, going up, wow. running to 770, and then standing for hours and hours and hours in line to get a contras, uh, something. But what's a contras? A, a small booklet. Okay. Hasidic. I mean, it literally... Wait, so when you, were, when you were waking up and running, you didn't actually necessarily <clears> know what <throat> you were even going for. You just knew that something was going on and everyone was... We were going to was, the Rebbe. Wow. And so, and so that's from when I was like much, much, much littler, right. uh, much younger. And then um, eventually the Rebbe had a stroke and things sort of shifted um, for a little while. We would get to see the Rebbe in like these small little windows. And I remember <clears throat> it was Sukkis. And I remember wearing, <laughs> I remember what I was wearing. It's like dressed with this matching headband, like floral printed dress. And um, everybody was facing towards the back of the shul because we were waiting for like the Rebbe to appear in the windows. These Hasidim who like, Loved and missed seeing the face of the rabbi for like Chag. Right. And I remember I was standing one of these um, with my father towards the back of the shul. There's like the narrow tables that people would daven with. And I was standing on top of it. And as soon as the rabbi appeared, everybody surged forward. Oh, and yeah. I ended up under one of the tables, obviously, like away from my father and lost my headband, which was like this epic. But you're okay. That was. Um, yeah, so th- like that, and I also remember like there was f- just from for bringing like when the rebbe eventually moved up to the onto the porch, um, standing 
um, everybody would hold out little l'chaim cups. Um, and once somebody's l'chaim who was standing in front of me, like poured into my eye, like right behind me, there's just like all these, it's just like, right. and these are just tiny little like funny stories, but like, this was my life. Like I grew up, so I was in for bring in. Um, I like to tell people that like, when you see pictures of thousands of Hasidim, you you're, know, in you're the region, there's a world underneath where there wow. are little kids. And like we would play, we would call it like under the feet, or submission the feet, like which means under the feet. We would tell our friends like, I'm gonna see you under the feet, like between the feet. That's where, and that's where that was our that's little nuts. playground, you know. Do you and speak Yiddish, little... by the way? You just said that very like fluently. Kind Yiddish of. is my first language. Yeah, we have like two generations in our family, and like the top four of us, like we spoke Yiddish, and then eventually there was like enough English in the house where that didn't really connect. Okay. Um, I actually didn't realize until I was an adult, and. I had a friend who like doesn't speak a word of Yiddish sitting at our Shabbos table and suddenly it she pointed out she was just like what are your parents saying and I'm like why are you asking me a weird question like they're just talking mm. and, and she's just like they're talking a foreign language that I don't know and I'm like oh my god my parents are speaking Yiddish like I didn't realize right. that wow okay yeah grew up deeply deeply entrenched in Chabad Hasidus you no longer live in Crown Heights I so, no longer live in Crown Heights, um, feel like a deep home in Crown Heights. Even when you go back now, you... Even when I go back now, I mean, like, my grandfather's face is, like, on a bunch of trucks around the, <laughs> around the neighborhood. What did he, what did you My grandfather, um, owned, like, opened a fish store in 1959, okay. I believe. Um, and it's, like, it's actually a, Bro a Brooklyn landmark, his, wow. fish, his fish market. So, right, so the trucks fish market, are, like... The trucks, like, are all over, and... My great uncle was across the street and had Raskin's fruits. So, like my name is like this is like it's like my neighborhood. Um, wow. But yeah, I've since I've since journeyed away and been sort of journeying on my own path for a little while, as cool. you know. Um, but I guess you know the journey is ever it's ever evolving. So I have no idea like where I'm going to go or what's going to be. But um, one major major piece that's been a huge part for me has been the Nagunim that I grew up with. So the right. the music of my childhood has like really, really like escorted me, walked with me. I kind of explain it like, you know how kids walk with like a blankie, you know, or like yeah. a little like stuffed animal and it's like... So that's their comfort. <clears throat> it's my comfort. Yeah. Wow. And it's different than a stuffed animal because it doesn't get ratty, like it hasn't gotten ratty. If anything, it's like a stuffed animal that's like that's suddenly extraordinarily like new and, and familiar and nostalgic and new again and alive. And um, yeah, and eventually somehow miraculously like that's really become like my work now. Which is okay, so we're going to get to that in a minute. Um, I kind of want to go back for a second. So I, as a child, I mean, obviously you, you grew up in that world and, you know, with that whole thing happening around you. Is there like a specific earliest memory that you have maybe of a, a particular Chabad Nigun or a, a situation where, you know, maybe if you were to hear it today, you'd be like, I, I remember that. I remember where I was when I heard that. Yeah. Of course. Okay. <laughs> I'm saying there are a bunch of different ones. I mean, I also have like a really wild memory. It's like I really, really remember things and I've confirmed them with other people oh, wow. um, from when I was two and a half, three years old. And so even a little bit earlier, but not Nigun related things. Right. Um, one of my favorite Nigan stories that I love <laughs> to share, and I recorded this on, the, on my album, was my father was a, a high school, like a Hasidic high school teacher. Mm -hmm. He taught Hasidus, and um, 
yeah, basically we had this tiny, we live in this tiny little apartment in Brooklyn Empire <laughs> on the fourth floor. And um, one night I was sleeping and woke up again, like in the middle of the night um, and noticed that the hallway light right outside my bedroom was on. I must have been three or something mm. like that. Came out, see this like really, really tall bucher who like scoops me up. I hear noise and there was a Febringen going on in the like living room, dining room, all things room. Right. And he just scooped me up and sat me down on my father's lap. And they started singing this Miggin that I had never heard before. Okay. Um, that is, it's like Hebrew words and then Yiddish words. And I like that, ha it's like this wild Miggin that I learned then. Is it on your album? It's on my album. Okay, yeah. so, so to, I guess to... Yeah, but then to answer your yeah. other question, it's like, let's say when I hear a Vinu Malkenu, the right. Chabad of Vinu Malkenu, sure. like I am immediately transported to like Yantif, like the right. opening, right? Because in Chabad, they sing that in 770, they sing it to open the whole Yantif. Right. Um, like to open the whole tefillah. And so it automatically like It's such a powerful right. tune. It just puts me right there as like a very tiny child squashed between thousands and thousands and thousands of chassidim singing. It's pretty amazing. I guess you think about like, you know, an, an average <clears throat> kid, you kind of grow up with nursery rhymes and they at a certain point, normally at age five or six, kind of expire in terms of what yeah. they do for you. But there's something so powerful about a nigga and that... <clears throat> um, I guess with time it can have even more meaning and, and be even deeper and what I'm always fascinated by with Nigunim is that for the most part from what I know and you can correct me if I'm wrong they weren't necessarily written by musicians um, but from a musical technical point of view a lot of them are like incredibly complex and they they I'm always kind of just um, what's the word amazed by that someone who's a jazz musician might sit down and write something like that but if you have if you're not spending all day making music, where does that come from? So interesting, because I think you're touching on something that, like, for me has been a real, like, identity question. Okay. Um, you know, like, what is a musician? You know, people ask me a lot of times, like, are you a musician? You know, and I think, like, no. <laughs> right. Like, no way. Um, that feels so Western. <clears throat> and um, arbitrary and external. On some okay. level and um, yeah I think a lot I mean the way at least in Chabad how these the people who compose these Nagunim they're like Bale Menagen right someone's a Bal Menagen what does that even mean it means that they're a holder of song a holder of melody um, an owner of melody right you know <clears throat> these Nagunim came like, I mean, we could talk a little bit about like what the Nagunim is, especially like in Chabad tradition, Chassidic tradition in general, but these Nagunim were born from a spiritual journey, a spiritual yearning, a spiritual um, dveikus, dveikut, like in trying to touch something in the divine, right? And then in Chabad you have like a Nigan Mechuvan, which is a Nigan that was mamash composed by like a Rebbe, for example. And those are considered like divine channels, um, pure divine channels, so much so that if you sing a note out of seder, like, no, <laughs> you know, yeah. like there's like a real stringency around that and um, it's sacred.
Um, so yeah, I feel like a lot of the composers of the Nagunim, and there were certain chassidim who like really were, they were like Bali Minagin, like they were the composers of the community or whatever it is. There's also certain families, like it's like oh, really? the father and the son and the son and the son and the other they son, were. you know, like the Charitanos, for example, um, from Nikolaev. Did I, am I making this up or, or at certain points were people <clears throat> either asked by the Rebbe to write stuff or did they write stuff like as a gift for the Rebbe? Is that how it worked sometimes? Yeah, in the last generation, right. um, yeah, there was like, there's certain, like a few different, I'm like a couple who are, that are like pretty famous. Um, For example? The Rosh Chodesh Kislev Nigin. That's one of my, I think it might be my all-time favorite. Really? Yeah, it's just so hopeful. Yeah. I love it. Yes. So for me also, like that's like such a instant joyful, yeah. like brings you from a place that was like challenging or potentially challenging to like <gasps> redemption and hope. Um, so yeah, that was it. Um, composed by, I, I think, um, a chassid by the name of um, Fight Eleven. Okay. And it was brought to the Rebbe. And, like, I feel like, you know, there was always, like, a lot of, you know, like, fear, sure. et cetera. It's, like, so much awe. And then it was, like, approved, you know? It's so like, I'm assuming there was some that didn't get approved. Is that how? So, yeah, possibly. I don't know. No, I that must be... I wasn't tough. around. <laughs> but even the niggin, like, the Benini niggin, was composed by, who was that composed by? It might have even been composed by like one of the composers of the time. Okay. And that was brought to, I think it was the Friedrich Rebbe, um, the Rebbe's father-in-law. Well, don't quote me on this. That's okay. But, um, and yeah, it was sort of like with so much trepidation and then like the Nigan was beloved. And that, that Nigan actually became so beloved by the Friedrich Rebbe that it became his Nigan. Like when we would sing a Nigan from every Rebbe, um, there was a specific time when the Rebbe at some point asked um, to, for a niggin from every Rebbe to be sung. This niggin that was so beloved by the Friedrich Rebbe that was offered as a gift from his chassid wow. was actually considered his niggin. Um, and that happens quite a bunch of times. Also, like the Rebbe Shab second that we usually sing was not composed by him. It was loved by him. By him. Um, I'm still kind of like uh, like stuck in, the, in this <laughs> idea of like you and your your friends being part of, you know, because I, I went to a Chabad school until I was probably 10 years old and used to see all the Rebbe videos um, and it was a lot of men with beards and hats, this whole scene, but you, know, you don't necessarily see them on the videos of Fabrengans, but there's also women. There's yeah. women behind all the men, <clears throat> yeah. which kind of leads They're me upstairs. to... upstairs. Oh, they were upstairs. They were upstairs. So in 770, the women are upstairs behind tinted glass. Okay. And the truth is, like, I do have a lot of memories from the women's section, but that's really more from when I was in high school, like, when I got older. My mo I didn't grow up going to show with my mother almost okay. ever. I have, like, almost no memories going to show with my mother because she was at home with babies. I've got a bunch of younger siblings, right? I'm, like, second. How many? Like, how many are well, I'm one of eight. Wow, thank okay. God. So, and I'm the second. So... I went to shul with my father. Like, I went to shul in the men's section right. until, like, I was no longer allowed in the men's section. And people like to ask me when that was. And I don't... I was just about to ask you I that. don't know <laughs> when it was. Like, somewhere between 8 and 11. Okay. I don't know. Um, but that was my playground. Whereas... And that feels really, really unique. You know, people who really did have moms taking them to shul, like, didn't get that experience, you know? It's, um, it's wild. I mean, I think about my, my dad was a community rabbi for like over 30 years, mm -hmm. 
and my playground was, you know, his shore. We were like the rabbi's kids who had to behave and. Oh wow. Um, yeah, but it was it was it was a playground that was. Mm. But you were asking just about like musicianship and were these composers yeah. and like who were they or whatever. So I mean, both the Alter Rebbe like talked a lot about this, um, <clears throat> but then there's like this really amazing quote from um, a chassid and composer named Rupel Paracher. Okay. And um, you for sure know a handful of his nagana, but one you definitely know, which is the Chabad Azamar Bishvachim. I'm not sure I do, but I have to look yeah. it up, okay? Yeah. And it's very simple, um, special nagana, not my favorite of his, but one of the ones that people know. Right. Um, and he actually said, there's two versions of his quote, because um, he was pretty harif. And he said that if you don't have a chush in nagina, you can't have a chush in chassidus. Whoa. And then... I think the kinder way was, you know, if you really want to have a chush and chassidus, you need to have a chush and nagina. What, what about someone who's turned deaf? And so it's a real question. Like, these are real questions that I've been sitting with because, like I said, like, I didn't grow up as a musician. I have no classical training, no formal training. I, I'm, like, really just over the last year, like, starting to learn very, very basic right. musical ideas. And it's like, where does the music come from? You know, where... what? What does it mean if someone's tone deaf? Like, I've worked with people who are tone deaf, and you start to see with time and practice and devotion and connection the things that start to come out. Now, I'm not saying that that is yeah. like a blanket statement, but but it's pretty extraordinary. Like, how, like just like what is music? What is sound? What is voice? What is harmony? Sure. Um, and taking a shul as um, like a playground for that. Sure. Um, yeah. I. I um... <clears throat> I just wanted to ask you something about what you you just said about you slowly to le- starting to learn about I guess the, the theory side of it. These nagunim and these songs are an extremely non-technical or academic um, kind of thing. Do you feel that by studying, you know, music theory or any of this stuff, that it could potentially lose the magic in a way? Um, yeah, I think I need to like I I'm walking with a lot, a lot, a lot of gentleness and humility. Mm-hmm. Um, I ask myself that question just like in terms of like starting to perform, you know, and you're just like powering through, doesn't matter how you're feeling, doesn't matter what's going right. on or whatever, and telling a story and, you know, sometimes it's alive and sometimes it's not so alive for me. And what does that look like? You right. Know? And how can I like bring whatever is true right here, right now? You know, I guess I have a relationship with these nagunim that are like, they're alive for me. Sure. Okay, and like that's actually the work that I do. It's sort of engaging in conversation with the niggin and saying, "Hey, like, what's up today?" Right. You know, and so it's very scary. Scary. It's like a very vulnerable process, and so will the magic be? I I hope that with all the whatever it is that I learn and like I ask that like my tefillah about it is that I only take in like what I need to take right. in. Um, and even if I'm gathering different kinds of musical knowledge, um, that it not affect and impact like my relationship with it. It's a relationship. It's a friendship. It's a love. Sure. Like I have a deep love affair with these nigunim. Hundred percent. I, I have and a weird so... thing in that I I love music, but it's also what I do full time professionally. And like finding that balance and making sure that you know if I'm overwhelmed by work, to not be like okay, well right now I just you know, sometimes I leave the studio for the day, I'll get in the car and I'll drive for an hour in complete silence because I just mm-hmm. can't anymore. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I always find it's like a very um, delicate balance. But mm. I actually, people are pretty shocked to find this out. I think like including Danny, mm-hmm. my husband. I don't listen to a lot of music at all. Right. I love music, but like I hear music like in my body, in my right. mind. Like I like quiet like <laughs> a lot. Yeah. Like in the quiet is where a lot of stuff is born. Now, of course, sure. like I'll... I love watching live music. I love watching musicianship. You know, like that's amazing yeah. to me, and engaging with other musicians and jamming and play, singing or whatever. But I don't listen to a lot of recorded music. Live, live music is magic, and <clears throat> that's what I want to get to. What is raza? It literally, it's an Aramaic word. Um, it means secret or hidden. Okay. There's a Hebrew um, word raz, which is secret sure. or hidden. Um, most people are familiar with it from, like, there's this tefillah. Raza um, dish, that? Yeah. Right. Um, in, just before Mariv, in Shabbos, and it's, like, talks about the secret of Shabbos, like, Raza de Shabbos. Um, for me, um, a couple of years ago, it's, like, already, I don't know exactly how many years ago, six maybe? I was really sick at the time, um, and not really doing much, and I'm... Um, at some point I had this conversation with Danny and with some other people. I was just like, well, I need to do something for like my spirit because physically I was really, really ill. And um, <clears throat> in general, my relationship with um, health and well-being and the music is very, very interconnected. And we sure. can talk about that or not talk about that. Um, but at this particular point in time, suddenly three different people reached out to me and said, we need to sing, like, can you do a thing? And these were people who didn't know that I had, like, been bedridden for months. Wow. And um, and I, don't, I think it was Donnie who was just like, let's go, like, do it, you know? And I said, yalla. And he said, I'll take you. Like, I will physically carry you to wherever you need to go and sit you down somewhere and you will do a thing. And suddenly it was like, okay, cool, we're going to do a raza, like, raza. Now, what, what the, why, right? Like, why that word? The sound for me of this music, of these nagunim, always, even in my ears, okay, were men. Okay, I grew up singing these nagunim with men in my family, okay, hearing my father sing it morning to night, okay, hearing the chassidim in 770 sing it, Here, walking on the street, if you hear a nagun, the boys for bring-ins, my father's students, my brothers for bring-ins, okay, the records that we used to grow up, we grew up with these cassette tapes, right, like, that was the music in our house, m- much of the time, a lot of the time. Men, 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 male voices, right? I don't have a male voice. I am me, okay? Yeah. And I used to sing these nagunim, and then for years I was singing these nagunim, and as I journeyed, like, a little bit away from the community, whatever, I would sing these nagunim to myself, right? Like I said, like, as a, as like a blanket. It didn't sound that way, and then over, like, it didn't sound like the sound that I heard in my own ears for the music, right? It's like this weird dissonance. And then, after some time that I, um, I lived, I lived for a while, as I was um, in recovery from my head injury, I was living in the woods, and I was living by myself for a couple months, and I would sing all the time, um, and I actually used sound and singing and humming, like, for physical pain relief. Wow. and I started to really hear voices singing with me, like Whoa. angelic voices. And it was like, oh, my gosh, like, it's not just me. 
you know, singing this nigga and it really made space. There was like a lot more quiet to like have the sounds of the, like the male voices kind of yeah. simmer down. And suddenly I was like, wow, there's, I hear this music in like a totally different way. And I just wanted to hear it in real life. And so I said like, let's see if we can like have, it's like a hidden, a hidden sound, a sound that's hidden even to me. Right. What happened, what would happen if like we invited it into the room? And we did that. <laughs> we had a circle just for women. Um, <clears throat> and I mean, I was physically really, really, really struggling at that first circle. But all these different people showed up. I don't even remember whose house it was. I had no nothing to do with the planning. All these different people showed up. We sang Tunaganam, I think, in like an hour and a half. And then we did another circle. And the Naganim that I decided to bring, like, I have no idea where they came from. And in this second circle, I suddenly started to, I had a little bit more koach. It was, I think, a month later. And then um, I brought this Nigan that I have no idea why, Hula um, Kenu, okay, so. which is just sung all, it's, it's like, you know, all right, you know. And I literally, I don't know if I, like, burst into tears or burst out laughing or both. But when the room sang that nigan back to me, and this is a room filled with people who did not grow up singing this nigan for the most part, my whole, I was just completely covered. I was like, oh my God, I never heard, I never heard this. Like, this is what I've been hearing. Like, I've been hearing this, you know? Um, it's a different sound, but it's the nigan, you know? Right. And so Raza for me has been the, is, it literally is this like hidden sound that, has been in the Nigunim, I think, all along. Since you were a little girl, and it's <clears throat> now. Not since I was a little girl. Since they were composed. Since they were composed. Um, I think, like, when right. a Nigun comes into the world, like, it has all these iterations. Just like when we're born, we have all the iterations of everything that we sure. could possibly be. And so, and so there's also all the future iterations of the Nigun, right. you know? And, um, yeah. Wow. Yeah, so I guess like that's kind of the play, like the work that I've been doing work, like that's the play that I've been playing with and listening with and dancing with. It's like more of a dance than work. Um, inviting people in and saying, hey, come listen with me. Like there's stuff going on here. <laughs> this nigga's alive. Like what is, right. what's going on, you know? Do you feel like there was almost like a direct correlation mm -hmm. between starting this and like getting physically stronger and, and better? <laughs> so that's like a really special, it's a really, really special question because I definitely did not feel that for okay. a number of years, but then now I feel that. Almost like a delayed reaction to like... Well, I mean, I recorded the album Mamish a year ago, just over a year ago, like last week it was one year, and it was so mind-blowing just that I was physically able to pull that off. Um, I did not do alone with so much help from friends, right. extraordinary, like angelic, magical creatures <laughs> who like believed that like I shouldn't even do that, you know, right. which is my, not normal, um, like which is I don't take for granted. But yeah, this is definitely, <clears throat> I mean, okay, it's been 10 years. <laughs> wow. um, but yeah, I feel like I feel like doing this like really, really has been giving me life, like physical life force. And yeah, I taught like miraculous healing is possible. Um, I know that. I I know that on my flesh, um, and 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 I and also the flesh of my brain, like cognitive healing. Um, 
it's yeah, it's, it's mind blowing. That's awesome. So, but I do. I feel like if anybody like really pays attention and does what they're supposed to do in the world, there's deep healing in that. For sure. Um, wow, it's inspiring. <laughs> um, okay, so so you recorded an album, and now <clears throat> this is basically. Be, I mean, from what I've seen, <clears throat> has turned into sold out shows. What's what's going on? What's happening? Where's it headed? Um, cool. Yes. I mean, I'm happy to speak a little bit more also just about sure. the music um, that we've been doing. So the album is a recording of, it's like a sample of the music that, um, it's like a sample, um, how do you explain? Of the live experience. Representation of okay. what had been going on in live spaces, which is that I'm sort of the also the main difference is that it includes musical instruments, which usually, at least for a bunch of years, I was doing without any. It was just voice. Mm -hmm. Part of the reason, the actual honest reason for that is, I don't like professionally play any musical instruments, okay. and that was the one of the major pieces that ever like prevented me from leading any sort of musical space. And my beautiful teacher, Joey Weisenberg, who's been the person like nudging and probing and bothering me for like over a decade for about to do this. this to just teach Nagunim right. just be like you just are you teaching you teach a Nagin, yeah? yeah like you do the thing and and I would just look at him and be like Joey I'm a woman <laughs> and he'd be like two years later like you teach a Nagin, you know mm. um he was the one who said you're doing a circle I called him when I decided that I was doing this first circle and he's like you're doing a circle I said, yeah, but what should I do? Should I invite other musicians? And he's like, no musical instruments allowed in the room. Interesting. You're, like, you're in charge, you know? And he really kind of put that, and for me, that was like a deep, deep learning. Like, now I'm more, like, a little bit less intimidated to work with musicians, although, right. like, I'm generally, like, the, the least, like, I have the least knowledge in the room. I guess at this point, I know that it's not about me or what I know. Right. I feel like um, also... Probably very much comes down to who who the musicians are, and making sure they're, you know, you can have loud, in-your-face musicians and then sensitive musicians who. Yeah, I guess this is also not so much like I guess the work that I've been doing is not so much for. It's not about like sounding amazing or the most extraordinary like um, musical arrangement um, or even like exact tonality, you know. It's really about touching the heart of the Nigan and, and really representing the Nigan. So sure. that was a big piece for me. Um, there's not a lot of interpretation. Um, the notes are the Nigan um, and the album. And that was mm. really important for me, sort of like honoring that um, tradition. There's a lot, a lot of musical interpretation around sure. Nigunim and all this cool, fancy stuff that's been going on, over, especially over the last decade. <clears throat> um, I think it has its place. I think it's awesome that it's going on and it makes a lot of these Nagunim accessible to people sure. who don't listen to sacred devotional music, right. you know, just for fun, like me. Um, but I do think that a lot of the times the goal in making that kind of music, whether it's like electronic um, or reggae or whatever. piano versions. Of yes, them. whatever it is. I don't know necessarily that the goal there is always um, staying true to the heart of the niggin and asking the niggin to speak. Yeah, it's more self-expression. Yeah. Right. And it's like, oh, how do I make this niggin cool for this crowd right. who's listening to this kind of music and that's cool. 
That's not, that has like basically nothing to do at all with what I'm doing. You're really kind of bringing the crowd into the nigger. Exactly. Because yeah. I think one of the, the striking things about when I was watching the videos of you guys recording it, first of all, it's awesome. That it's, it's very like, a, it's a live organic kind <clears throat> of one take sort of thing. You know, mm -hmm. there's no click track or any of that stuff. Mm -hmm. But you are essentially as well as, you know, lead singing, you're kind of conducting mm -hmm. everyone in the room. Um, you know, and, and showing them when they should be louder or quieter. And um, and it's all improv, like, so it's all improvised, you know. Right, right. Um, there are these, like, we put together these, like, basic arrangements and even keys right. <laughs> for the most part. And then it was just like, okay, where are we at? What's going on? How does it feel? Yeah. Start telling me, oh, no. Okay, let's try this again. Okay, great. Let's go. And for me, what I'm doing or trying to do as much as possible is, like, paying attention, paying attention, paying attention. Uh, right now the niggin wants to do this like right now it's this it's screaming let's scream like right. it's silent it's being playful it's asking us to it's be like a child. live breathing thing it's a yeah. living breathing um it's a living breathing gift like it's a living breathing miracle that's a channel for healing too it's a channel for connection it's yeah i guess it's just like it's davening right you know and so sure you can just do this which a lot of what i grew up with at for bring in was we're gonna like march the niggin you know right. <clears throat> and one day one day i'll like write a like dissertation about this but i think that there's a, an extraordinary value in that too mm, like just learning a niggin and marching it through and that does a certain kind of spiritual work um and it does a really beautiful job of getting you out of the way which is essentially what the niggin is trying to do anyway. Right. Um, but um, I do think, at least, let's say, in Chabad, we've gotten very, very comfortable with that mode of spiritual work, of, like, marching forward getting, and through. Getting it done. And getting it done. And I also think that in the original revolution of Chabad, um, there was a different kind of, yeah, there was a different way. Right. <clears throat> there was a different relationship. And... Um, another interesting thing is like I grew up, there was like the chassidim singing together that kind of did this, you know? And then there was the chassid singing alone, which I got to experience either listening to my father sing or listening to recordings of old chassidim yeah. singing alone. And that was this like gorgeous individual process that was much more round, you know, as opposed to straight right. linear. And for me, what I eventually noticed when we started doing in the Raza circles, it was like this blend of both, you know, where there's no. totally space for this um, personal and communal, personal and communal, and a personal that does not negate the community, right. and a communal um, singing experience that does not negate me as an individual. Right. And, so, and you really hear that. You That's hear amazing. that with the, with the, in the music. Yeah. How has the how has the reaction from assuming there has been some kind of reaction from the community that you grew up in? Yeah, it's been to, amazing. Really? Yeah. Tell me more. I have to say, I'm saying like there. I went through. There was like a whole. Pro I can't believe the album was recorded. Not only because oh my god, the album was recorded, but like the whole the years, the tears, the rivers of tears that happened in terms of like firstly, I don't know. I feel like there's been rivers of tears for generations like for this album to sure. have come out, mamash, like, um, we really, when we did the, when we, 
when we opened the album um, recording session, because it was two days of recording, and in the evenings is when we did the group. Sure. And in the first evening, we invited in, like we did like an opening ceremony, and we invited in all of the composers in the Nagdanim, because in Chabad tradition, that's who you're welcoming in the room, connecting with them. <clears throat> and we invited in all the generations of women who would sing these nagunim by themselves, wow. you know? And somebody was saying, like, the room was packed. You know? Like, the room was packed with souls. Like, packed, jam-packed. Like, you couldn't move, you know? <laughs> um, the, the response... So I knew for myself I had to get to a place where I was going to record this no matter what the reaction, nothing to do with any reaction. Just like, sure. this music has to be out in the world. No one needs to listen to it. Like, I even said, like, if one person, like, if the album gets recorded, nobody hears it, and then in 20 years, like, a girl in a Chabad home hears it, like, dayenu, enough right. for me. Because she'll probably have also been hearing, so, you know, like, that was fine for me. That's one of the beauties of, the, of like, modern music and streaming. <clears throat> like, you can post it, and you have no idea when someone will be typing in this and this nigga and, and your result will show up and it could hit them in yeah and and so the years. response has been really mind-blowing i don't know jewish music like that the kind of diverse audience that has been listening to this music like to this album listens to like i mean we had a concert i mean like <sighs> it's really wild i have it i don't know if besides for our wedding, right. I don't think I've ever been in a place with as many different kinds of Jews. Wow, that's beautiful. Pers like a personal space, yeah, not like a public space like the Kotel. Like the, the people who aren't Chabad who are coming to those shows, what do you think draws them in? Authentic prayer music. Prayer music. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, people want to connect. Like, people want to daven, and not everybody knows anything about davening not everybody grew up right. like with that access point not everybody grew up with spiritual tradition you know we are so like i am so lucky that i grew up with such a rich rich tradition not everybody did right. specifically a tradition of song and people are really looking for that um yeah i guess everyone has their i was saying this to someone yesterday you know everyone connects differently and, and for me you know um i struggle in, in shul um and if I'm going to put my talus and tefillin on, it's normally in this room mm. without the bright lights, just the moody lights, amazing sound. And I actually listen to the Tsama albums, mm. um, you know, these redone versions of Chabad Nugunim. And, and that's kind of it for me. Like I, I put my talus on my head and I feel connected to a, to a higher power. Whereas sometimes when I say the words, even if I have learned the translation, um, I don't know if it's because it's in a different language or, you know, struggling to connect with something that isn't um, physical, you know, which some people have a, an easier time with, some people have a harder time. For me, when there's music, it's just, that's it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is why if I go to a show where there isn't singing or it's just not great singing, that that's my whole experience kind of depends on that. Mm. Um but it's it's a it's a crazy powerful thing, and I I think it's something that, as time goes on, you know, is changing. Um, there's kind of like a shift, I think, also in the in the religious world where, it's like, it's okay, for people to, 
like not everyone connects in the same way. People do do things differently, and mm. things like music or meditation or being out in nature, like that's just how some people find God, and mm. that's okay. Yeah, um, it's not just okay. It's actually like the beginning of Hasidism, like right. was that 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 was that was the whole thing. That's why people hated. Mm. Hasidim, right? They were terrified of them. They're like, who are you crazy people? Like, that's not Judaism, right? That's right. not the way. That's not Torah. And they're just like, we are going to dive in with the trees. We are going to sing and dance. We are going right. to be in our bodies. Um, yeah, I mean, look, the experiences, so it's really like the beginning, right? Mm -hmm. um, I we've done, we've done like two concerts. We did like a really amazing concert in Jerusalem. Um, yeah, I saw some videos. Hey, and my mom, mom was, was there. <clears throat> and did you hear what your mom said afterwards? Oh, I think she, uh, hold on. <laughs> I'm pretty sure my mom said in her very English accent, I don't think men should ever be allowed to sing these songs again, right? <laughs> Something like that. Here you yeah. go, mom. <laughs> um, yeah, that we've been wasting the Nagunim on, on men all these years. Um, yeah, it's new bringing it to the live space, like in this sort of epic sure. way. Um, it's amazing. We just had a... a concert in New York two weeks ago right. literally from today two weeks and the room had like a nice handful of uh, Lubavitch representation awesome. um, men and women you know yeah I've gotten letters from Chabad men who have seen the project or listened to the project you know um, and they they see how this is impacting their sisters daughters mothers um, oh. and then there's like this extraordinary musician who reaches out to me and says, I found your music on Spotify. I'm on tour with my band. Oh, Mike Bogart. You know? Yeah. And he's like, and I can't stop weeping. Wow. I can't stop crying. I can't stop crying. Like, I'm on a journey. He didn't even realize this music was connected to Chabad. Anyway, we just, like, played music together and met. And there's, like, all these different... And he just literally, the music came up for him right. on Spotify or something. You know? That's amazing. Um, a woman, a recent, like somebody reached out to me who grew up close by to me and said, like, oh my God, like we're about the same age. And she always just like saw the Hasidim. And so this music has been like a really interesting bridge um, for me with my home community. Sure. For my home community, like for the women and men in, the home, in my home community, like who've never really connected in or saw that music or this music of our childhood could be like a really authentic living channel to spirituality sure and an extraordinary bridge um, between the Hasidic community and other just other people, other people other people who um it's not you know what's so cool because like people do you know there are these like there will be shows like tv shows or um, art exhibits or whatever it is, like life of Hasidus, you know, Hasidus. Normally not made by Hasidic people. Orthodox people, yeah. Or trying to make them look bad. But mm. whether it is or not, but it's always like a, like a snapshot or whatever. And this right. is an invitation to just come inside. Like right. there's no airs. It's saying here, like, I guess like somebody just wrote about the concert that we did and he said, if you were a member of the choir slash audience, you know, the audience is the choir. The audience is the, the band. Right. You know, and so it's the same thing when you listen to the album. Like, you're not a listener. You're not a. It's not a passive experience. Yeah. Right. It's like you're invited in, and so that's a really special thing. Right. It's awesome. I guess through this, 
series I I say I want to get to the bottom of, but I don't think there I don't think there is there's no end goal and I don't necessarily think there's an answer, which is why it's so interesting to me because based on the conversations I've had even before I started doing this, it seems to be like a deeply personal thing depending on who you're asking. Um, but if someone who wasn't me, someone who maybe knew nothing about Judaism or Jewish people, um, you know, you bumped into them tomorrow somewhere and they said, what, what is Jewish music? What is it? What is that? How, how would you respond? So it's so fascinating because I'm actually in this conversation now, there's like all this talk about, so we won't get into this, I'll just tell you that there's all this conversation about that there's no Jewish music category um, or non-Christian category. I'm part of the, the, part the committee of the conversation. thing, yeah. Okay, cool. So right now we're not able to submit there's like you're actually not allowed to submit religious music with religious content like we're trying to submit capella right there's no category that's a non-christian category that you're allowed to submit liturgical music for right which is like a major discrimination issue which is why they're they started these talks it's wild but then the answer was submit your music but you're actually legally not allowed to because it doesn't qualify in any categories but anyway to to explain for anyone who who who, um doesn't know that there's currently a um, I guess a drive, it's a whole bunch of Jewish musicians and artists and singer-songwriters and, and people who care, um, who have come together to try and petition um, the Recording Academy, who have the Grammys, to have a category for, for Jewish music. Um, I actually found it very interesting when I was invited to be on that first Zoom meeting with, um, with, with everyone involved. Um, it was right before I decided to to do this, this podcast, and... Um, as they were having this whole discussion people were talking about it, I could see that one of the biggest issues that they're going to come up with is what, it, what is it? Yeah, what what is this thing? What qualifies? So, yeah, it's really interesting because something that I've been reflecting on so much is how, I mean, just since we talked about it, since you asked me this question and, and just in general, just like kind of surveying the scene because like I have definitely said so many times of my life, like just Jewish music or music that has Hebrew words in it from like the liturgy, some sort of, mm-hmm. that I don't like because it's a musical genre or style mm-hmm. that right. I don't like. I'm just like, this is not Jewish music. Like right. this is Jewish, you know, or Jewish music sucks or modern Jewish music sucks. Like I think that, you know, okay, hold on one second. <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, I was in a session with my teacher and he was playing um, musical instruments. And the question to the to the group, we were this large group of people, and he asked them like, "Is this davening? Like, I'm gonna play, I'm gonna play a, like my mandolin, and you're gonna tell me like, is this davening or is this maybe davening or like not davening? Okay. Okay. And he did that. He played a little piece there. He played another instrument. You know, played this like Eastern instrument. Played um, the electric guitar. Played somebody played the flugelhorn so okay and it was so fascinating because at the end of it it was like wow your response actually just tells more about you and your history and your nostalgia and association with tefillah than it has anything to say about the music and what I realized is like I actually think that like the same thing is with Jewish music you know it's like the way that you describe Jewish music tells more about your history and your childhood right. <laughs> and your positive or negative associations with your Judaism and or music and or prayer and or your family um, than it actually says about Jewish music because Jew, like Jewish music 
is music of the Jews, okay? It's music from Jews, by Jews, with Jews, telling a story of Jews, from Jewish tradition, indigenous to Judaism, popular, contemporary now, but written by Jews. Like, it's, it's, it's just as wide an expanse, you know, as music in general. Which is probably why they're struggling at the Grammys to figure out how, <laughs> how to deal with that. What it goes, right. right. But um, I guess that's also so extraordinary because I think a lot of us Jews, um, we forget how diverse the Jewish nation is, right. you know? And I know for myself, like, <clears throat> I'm still humbled and blown away when I'll go into a shul from you know, an Eastern tradition. Sure. Um, and the music is so heart-wrenching and it like moves you in the gut and whatever. And it may be so much more glorious and extraordinary than the niggin that I grew up singing. And it's moving the people in the room the way I see it. I see right. it's dripping down their faces. And for me, a little recording from whatever it is, like, does that to me. Right. Um, from, like, an Eastern European, whatever it is, or from A.B. Rottenberg, you know? And so we're all just raised um, and have different, like, we're raised differently. We have different, nostal like, nostalgia sure. looks different for everybody. And I think a lot of how people will describe Jewish music just describes their own experience with <laughs> Jewish music. For sure. Okay. Um, That's cool. That's classic. For me, though, for me, Jewish music is music that is sacred and connects me to the divine like but that's because my jewish music for the most part is consists of like nagunim right and music from the 70s and 80s and early 90s sure. like the jewish music that which was a direct reflection of the contemporary music of the time you know right. which is why i don't like jewish music that's recorded today mm. um the Godzilla, because I don't listen to contemporary music right now, popular music. Right. It's not my vibe. What about like Hanan Benari? Like what about all these Israeli, exactly. you know, or like like Ravid Kahlani, you know? Or, or Noel Kalmi, who I, who I spoke no, to last week. So, Ken. Which is why um, a big part of this and, and many of these interviews are actually going to be done in this, Israel. And all of the Paitanim and Paitaniyot that are like, And the music from you know? there's Ethiopia, Morocco, Shit. and like there's... So I really kind of want to... You know, and then there's the the other kind of Hasidim, and there's it's it's huge. And then there's also in. there's like secular Jewish, you know, there's Jewish music that is just all written in English, right? Um, that is inspired by you know unaffiliated right. <laughs> or like non-liturgical music um, that is not sung by a bearded man. Also, something like you know, um, Fiddler on the Roof. Okay. It's oozing with Judaism, right? But like. <clears throat> Is it Jewish? Is it not like the the music? Anyway, yeah. it's it's something. It's also that... like is kosher style Jewish style? You exactly. know, it's like is matzah ball soup exactly. Jewish? And it's like it yeah. is, but it's not necessarily kosher. I think also that's what makes makes this <laughs> exciting for me is knowing that it's kind of a endless pursuit. Really, just kind of collecting opinions and and different kinds of music and different people and and, and their experiences. Um, I have a, a a dream to eventually do some kind of project that kind of melds all of this together in a in a wild way um you know like imagine Chassid from Williamsburg singing with a couple of guys you know I don't know a Taimani singer or like to really bring to that power of um who we are as a people um mm -hmm. because it's it's very hard to 
understand or to even when you talk about it but like anything I feel nothing conveys something more than than music and mm. it's one of it's one of my uh one of my goals for when I have time if I ever have time Man. yeah one of my dreams is to I love lullabies okay so one of my dreams is to like record an album with lullabies from just across the world of Jewish tradition you know that's awesome I love that and yeah. it's like yeah it's so it's so wild because music goes so 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 deep right you know and so you can really meet a person and a culture you can meet like a whole culture right when you touch like an authentic melody you know, the same way that you grew up with the tunes that you had you can almost be deciding what could shape what other people hear as, as small small Jewish kids you know um, what does the future look like where are you headed me with, personally you personally with this with the Raza project oh God, I love that question. Hmm. I would love to to sing more with more people. You know, having mm. getting to experience this music in different living ways, like in different formations, alive, um, is so so awesome and so healing for me. For the people who are there, for the world. Sure. <laughs> um, yeah, I definitely I want to record like. All of Chabad Nigunim, <laughs> like all of the Chabad Nigunim. Okay. So you know, shouldn't take too long. Many, many, many more albums. Um, yeah, I don't know. I wonder. I also think that because it's like alive and dynamic and so audience, like so choir based, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, if you could go in a time machine <clears throat> and talk to five-year-old Hannah back in seven seventy, in between all the all the men when you could just about see and you were in the presence of. I remember listening to these songs, imagining maybe you and your friends or women singing them. What, what would you say? Uh, I think about her all the time. Really? Yeah. Wow. Because of this music, like because it's. Um, yeah, I think I would like tell her to keep paying attention as she is, you know, mm -hmm. um, and to keep playing like as adults, like we're, we think that like the way to do things is like to be very serious about them and to, and, and there is something to that, sure. you know, but I was a kid playing right. and I think I would, I, I would just smile and give me a hug, well. you know, because it's like, actually I learned all of these Nagunim just by beat, like just by yeah. existing and listening right. and playing and davening and jumping and skipping and eating candy, you know, right. like Lieber's Winkies. Right. Like that's what, yeah. And living something, I feel like that's the way to internalize it and, and right. listen. And essentially, I feel like <laughs> as adults, like and we're gathering in these like Raza circles or anywhere you're gathering to sit down and have a conversation or sing a niggin or daven, like I feel like what we're trying to do essentially is to go back to be that five-year-old self without care, without worry, without fear, and without inhibition, sure. without all the knowledge of what the thing that I'm about to do is supposed to be. Right. And just be there. Wow. That's good advice. You know? Okay, well, thank you for, for coming today <laughs> on this very early, even though it's... It's before 10 o'clock and we've already managed to do this. So I, I really yeah. appreciate you coming and telling oh us gosh. about it. And wish you tons of, uh, yeah, of luck going forward.
I'm excited to see what you do. Yeah, excited to see what you do. Let's see, see what yeah. happens.